Chapter Seventeen through Twenty of Three Thousand Dollars by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Three Thousand Dollars by Anna Catherine Green. Chapter Seventeen. Now for my part of the bargain. He was looking at the jewels, appraising them, making sure they were real and marketable. She was looking at them, too, with a wild longing and a bitter disappointment, which he, turning at that moment to mark her looks, saw and rated at its full value. "'Well, I guess they'll do,' he exclaimed, pausing in his task of thrusting the gems in his pocket to hand her a bracelet ornamented with one small diamond. "'But I expected more from all this fuss and feathers. Was it to guard these?' "'Yes,' she murmured, thrusting the bracelet into the neck of her dress and stepping quickly back. "'They are priceless to the owner. Associations, you know. Mrs. Stoughton is dead. There, that'll do. Now for my part of the bargain.' And bethinking her at last of the pistol, she raised it and pointed it full in his face. "'You will close that door now and send the telephone you promised.' He rose and banged to the door. "'All right,' he cried. "'You've behaved well. Now hide that pistol in your waist, and we'll step into the outer office.' She did as she was bid, and in a moment they were crossing the floor outside. As they did so, she noticed that the two clerks had been sent out to luncheon, leaving them alone with Mr. Fellows. This was not encouraging nor did she like the click which at this moment Beau Johnson made with his tongue. It sounded like a preconcerted signal. Whether so or not, it brought Mr. Fellows from his room, and in another instant he was standing with them before the telephone. There was a clock over the safe-room door. It stood at just twenty-five minutes after eleven. "'Hurry!' she whispered as the other took up the receiver. She did not need to say it. His own anxiety seemed to be as great as hers, but his anxiety was to be gone. The nerve which sustained him while the issue was doubtful gave some slight tokens of failing, now that his efforts had brought success, and only this small obligation lay between him and the enjoyment of the booty he had won at such a risk. She was sure that his voice trembled as he uttered the familiar, "'Hello!' and during the interchange of words which followed, the strain was perhaps as great on him as on her. "'Hello, how's the old man?' She could hear the answer. It swept her fears away in a moment. "'Well, but anxious about the girl.' "'She's all right. Everything's all right. Take the sick man home and tell him that his daughter will be there almost as soon as he is.' I must hear my father's voice. It was Grace who was speaking. I will give a cry that will echo through this building if you do not put me in communication with him at once. Her hand went out to the receiver. The veins on Beau Johnson's forehead stood out threateningly. Curse you, he muttered, but he gave the order just the same. Hello, don't shut off. The girl's nervous, wants to hear her father's voice. Have him up. Two words from him will answer. 
"'Father!' Grace's mouth was at the phone. No reply. She cast one look at Johnson. "'They're getting him on his feet,' he grumbled. His eye was on the door. "'Father!' she called again, her voice tremulous with doubt and anxiety. A murmur this time, but she recognized it. "'It's he! It's he!' she cried. "'He's safe! He's well! Father!' But Johnson had no time for dilly-dallying. Catching the receiver back, he took his place again at the phone and shouted a few final injunctions. Then he faced her with the question, "'Are you satisfied?' She nodded, speechless at last and almost breathless from exhaustion. He bowed and made for the door. As he opened it, Mr. Fellows slid forward and joined him. Both were leaving he as well as Johnson. She caught the look which the manager threw her as he closed the door behind them. There was threat in that look, and her heartstrings tightened as she stood alone there facing her fearful duty. Mr. Fellows was a thief. The manager of this concern was even then perhaps walking off with the booty wrenched from her care by the devil's own inquisition. What should she do? Send for Philip? Yes, that was all her tortured mind could grasp. She would send for her own Philip and get his advice before she notified the police or sent the inevitable cablegram. She was too ill, too shaken to do more. Philip! Philip! She was fainting. She felt it, and was raising her voice to call in one of the clerks when the outer door opened and Mr. Fellows came in. She had not expected him back. She had fondly believed that he had gone with this professional comrade, and the sight of him caused her to rise again to her feet. "'You!' she murmured, facing him in dull wonder at his renewed look of threat. "'I cannot stay in the same room with you. You are—' Chapter 18 What Have You Done Among You? "'Never mind me.' came clearly and coldly from his lips. "'It is of yourself, you must think. "'Here, officer!' he cried, opening the door again and ushering in a man in plain clothes, but evidently one of the force. "'This is the young lady. "'I accuse her of taking advantage of her power to open Mr. Stoughton's private safe to steal his jewels. "'Her confederate has escaped. "'He had a pistol, and I had no means of stopping him. But she is right here, and you will make no mistake in arresting her. The booty is on her, and smart as she is, she cannot deny that proof. With a cry, Grace's hand went up to her throat. Then she settled into her usual self once more. The officer, eyeing her, asked what she had to say for herself. A great deal, was her low answer. But I shall not say it here. If Mr. Fellows will go with me to wherever you take people suspected of what you suspect me, I can soon make plain my position. But first I should like to send for my friend, Mr. Philip Andrews. He is with the Stickney Company, and he is acquainted with my affairs and the understanding between Mr. Stoughton and myself, by which I have access to that gentleman's safe and do much of his private business for him. "'That's all right.' 
send for Mr. Andrews if you wish, but you mustn't expect to talk to him without witnesses. Is that your coat and hat? Yes. Well, put them on. Mr. Fellows advanced and whispered something in the officer's ear. Immediately the suspicious look grew in his eyes, and he watched her every movement with increased care. She saw this and stepped up to him. "'I shall not deny having this piece of jewelry about my person,' she said, drawing the bracelet from its hiding place. "'The man whom Mr. Fellows calls my confederate gave it to me, and I took it. But it will be hard for him or anyone else to prove that it is a theft, harder than it will be for me to prove who is the real culprit here and the man whom you ought to arrest. Watch me, but watch him also.' He is more deserving of your close attention than I am. Her disdain, her poise, the beauty which came out in her face when she was greatly stirred, gave her a striking appearance at that moment. The officer stared, then followed her glance toward Mr. Fellows. What he saw in him made him thoughtful. Turning back to Miss Lee, he said kindly enough, "'Will you let me have that bracelet?' She passed it over, and he thrust it in his pocket. "'Now,' said he, "'I will go first. In a few minutes follow me and go down Nassau Street. A carriage will be at the curb. Take it. As for Mr. Fellows—' "'I cannot leave till some of the clerks come in.' "'We will all wait till a clerk comes.' Mr. Fellows paled. "'Here is one now.' The door opened, and Philip Andrews came in. "'Oh, Philip!' "'What is this? What have you done among you?' It was no wonder he asked. At sight of him, Grace Lee had fainted. Chapter 19 So that was your motive. Two hours later, Grace was explaining herself. She was still pale, but very calm now, though a little sad. The sadness was not occasioned by any doubt she felt about her father. She had telephoned home and learned that he had arrived there and was well, and had nothing but good to say of his captors. No, there was another cause for her manifest depression, a cause not disconnected with Philip, toward whom her eyes ever and anon stole with an uneasy appeal which her mother would have been troubled to see. But it comforted fellows, who began to regard her threats as idle, in face of the evidence of her complicity as afforded by the concealed bracelet. The officer on duty was questioning her. Had she done this and that? Yes, she had. Why? Then she told her story, the story you have already read. As she proceeded with it, every eye sparkled under the graphic tale, and the police, who had some acquaintance with Beau Johnson, recognized his hand in all that she told. One face only wore a sneer, and that was Fellows. But no sneer could discredit a story told with such vim and straightforward earnestness. As she mentioned the emptying of the office, each person present turned and gave him a look. The manager had undertaken a piece of work too big for him. 
His explanations of the presence of the graphophone in this inner office were feeble and contradictory. But he had his revenge, or thought he had, when she came to the jewels. She had pointed them out, but only to save a worse disaster. Injury to her father? Yes, and... She paused, and her voice thrilled. In one of the secret drawers, she continued, there was an immense amount of currency in large denominations, the loss of which would cripple the business, if not bankrupt Mr. Stoughton. His hand was feeling its way along the face of this drawer. In another moment he would have discovered the tiny knob by the manipulation of which this drawer opens. To save the struggle which would have ensued, I directed his attention elsewhere. I don't believe I did wrong. But you accepted one of these articles as your share. Do you believe you did right in this? Yes. I will not mention the smallness of the share, for that makes the portion saved for the owner of little account. Yet that portion is saved. I wish it had been a larger one. No doubt. So that was your motive, to save this souvenir for Mr. Stoughton? Casting a proud look at Philip, she moved a step nearer to the table on which the bracelet lay. "'Will you be good enough,' she asked her interrogator, "'to take up that bracelet and read the initials on the inner side?' "'R.S.T.' read the official. "'Does anyone here know Mrs. Stoughton's maiden name?' Evidently not, for all remained silent. "'Does anyone here know my mother's maiden name?' Philip started. "'Yes,' he cried. "'I do. Her name was Rhoda Selden Titus.' "'R.S.T.' smiled Grace. "'This bracelet was my mother's. Mr. Stoughton allowed me to place this keepsake and some other valuables of mine in his private safe. Gentlemen, the whole of those jewels were mine, my soul, and only fortune. I was keeping them for... Her eyes stole toward Philip. For my marriage portion, the secret and great surprise I had planned for my future husband. They are worth some five thousand dollars. My mother was the daughter of a wealthy man. They would have given us a home if I could have kept them. They would also have given my husband a start in business, and this I should have preferred, but I could not let Mr. Stoughton's securities be endangered, and so they had to go. Philip, cannot you forgive me when you think that it was through my folly the secret of the safe became known? I forgive you? He could not show his feelings, but his eyes were eloquent. So were fellows's. So were those of the various officials. "'You can prove these statements, Miss Lee?' asked one. "'Easily,' she replied. Then they turned to Fellows. Chapter 20 A Jewel of Far Greater Value Grace never got back her jewels. The wily Johnson was not caught though Fellows turned State's evidence and did all he could to have the professional netted in the same manner as himself. But she did not suffer from this loss. 
When Mr. Stoughton learned the full particulars of this daring robbery, he made good to her the value of those jewels, and the prosperity of this young couple was secured. He was even present at the wedding. Grace wore her mother's bracelet, but on her breast was a jewel of far greater value. On its back was engraved, To Brave G.L. from her grateful friend T.S. End of chapters 17 through 20 Recording by Roger Moline End of $3,000 by Anna Catherine Green $3,000